Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. Well, Chris, uh, since we last spoke, we wrapped up the month of May, and you know, despite the, the downdraft in equities that we saw, you know, the month actually finished with a, a pretty sharp rally, uh, and we saw the market um, ended you know, relatively flat. Uh, and now, as we here we are, you know, we're entering June, and we've got uh, quantitative tightening that's beginning. Um, we saw you know, earlier this week Jamie Dimon, he stated that, you know, quote, a hurricane is approaching. Uh, Janet Yellen, she was stated that she was wrong, that assuming inflation was transitory. Uh, President Biden is going to now meet with, with Chairman Powell to discuss inflation situation. Uh, so come, come a, lot of, a lot of political actors have, have entered <laughs> the stage, right? And um, so, you know, question just quickly, you know, can you remind our listeners, you know, why you don't think the Fed that raising rates is an important element in, in fighting inflation right now? Yeah, you bet. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head with identifying the political theater that's underway, um, you know, both the Fed and the Treasury, fo- they say they focus on inflation. Inflation is the most lagging indicator out there. The idea that they didn't know it was coming or was transitory is ludicrous. Um, whenever you see someone who runs a large organization like Jamie Dimon and they have the pulse on the economy, you want to listen to them, but also understand they always have to be responsible to their shareholders and their employees. So they're going to they're going to preach their books somewhat. It doesn't mean that we don't think there's a storm approaching because there certainly is. Um, now, when you look at the impact of interest rates, interest rates have almost zero to do with inflation. You can't lower interest rates and cause inflation. You can't necessarily raise interest rates and stop inflation. Everybody likes to go back to Volcker and say he broke the back of inflation. That's not true. Was he a fabulous central banker? Absolutely. Did he show courage? Yes. Should he have raised rates like he did? Absolutely. He did the right thing. Did that stop inflation? No. What stopped inflation in the 70s was the peaking of dual income couples entering the, their kind of uh, peak spending years. And it just coincided with Volcker's presence at, at the Fed. Um, what causes inflation is money supply expanding in the real economy. And so let's go back and, and talk a little bit about that. QE does not cause inflation. What The only way you can increase the money supply in the real economy is, is really uh, two ways. Um, one is bank lending. As banks lend, that it literally creates money out of thin air that goes directly into the financial system or into the real economy, I should say, not the financial system. It is going to get spent, and to the extent it's excessive, it will increase uh, prices on a, on a general basis. It's happened for hundreds of years. It's nothing new. QE doesn't create money in the real economy. It creates bank reserves. The other way to create uh, money in the real economy and expand the money supply that's going to lead to inflation is deficit spending. So, And that's it. So either we have greater deficit spending or greater levels of loan growth, both of which put money directly in the hands of consumers and businesses that spend it, and if that money is excessive relative to the goods and services available, it will create inflation. What created the inflation was the COVID stimulus. The PPP loans were direct lending that was guaranteed by the federal government and went directly into the real economy. The, the transfer payments that led to the largest income growth uh, directly went into consumers' pockets. The economy was shut down. It got directed into goods consumption and to financial assets. 
And that's what caused the inflation. Now, Biden's running for election. He's got to pin it on the Fed. The Fed's movement of interest rates will not shrink the money supply in the real economy. Now, could they raise rates so significantly that they break the ability of the federal government to run deficits, which would shrink the money supply, and then break the ability of banks to lend and collapse lending? Yeah, of course they could. But in all reasonable scenarios, raising rates is going to have absolutely no impact on inflation, and investors need to not focus on that. On a few different occasions, you've stated that you're more concerned with quantitative tightening than you are with you know, higher interest rates. You know, what, what is your primary concern then with, with QT? Yeah, when you look at quantitative tightening, again, interest rates can kind of change the relative opportunity set that investors have. But really what drives asset prices higher is expanding liquidity that's directed at financial assets. And it has to grow on an exponential basis, or you're going to um, see asset prices fall. And QT, QE, quantitative easing, has a direct impact on the amount of liquidity that's available for financial assets. If banks don't lend it out, it sits at the Fed in the form of excess bank reserves. They earn a return on it. They have additional balance sheet capacity to lend out for financial speculation or through trading books or what have you. And the minute you reverse those elements, we are in fact gonna have a tightening liquidity conditions. The tightening liquidity conditions is what led to the very dramatic sell-off in the fourth quarter of 2018. Now, we're just now starting quantitative tightening in June. It doesn't start June 1st. The first maturities are about mid-month. Um, you know, we're going to double the level of quantitative tightening as we enter September. Now, the last time we began to ran the balance sheet off, it was some time before we kind of reached capacity limits uh, within the banking system, and it created a, a real liquidity squeeze. We have a little window here where the Treasury is going to dramatically reduce the amount of Treasury bill issuance. We have a, a large amount of tax receipts that have come in. The federal government doesn't need to, in fact, uh, borrow as much. So their deficit is contracting. And as we said, that deficit contraction is going to shrink money supply. And it, once we get past this deficit contraction and the government has to begin uh, issuing treasuries at a, at a more rapid rate, that could present an issue within quantitative tightening. I think the key element here is when we look at QT, we need to see where the liquidity is coming out of the system. Are we draining bank deposits or is it in fact coming out of the system by expanding the reverse repurchase facility that the Fed has outstanding. If we do it in a manner that it drains bank deposits, we're going to rapidly shrink the money supply in the real economy. That will impact inflation on the margin, but more importantly, it's going to dramatically drain liquidity that's available for risk assets. So I think investors need to be uh, somewhat patient here. Uh, we need to see where the liquidity is going to come out of the system. We need to recognize from a rate of change standpoint, we are seeing a rapid decline in liquidity available for risk assets, both out of 
excess savings because that's declining, incomes are declining, profits are going to start to wane, and the Fed is pulling back some of the easy liquidity conditions at a very, very rapid rate, almost an unprecedented rate. So let's be patient. Let's see where liquidity conditions tighten, and we're going to break things. You know, keep in mind the weakness we're seeing in the housing market, that data is two months old. Uh, the tightening that we've seen in financial conditions over the last two months hasn't really played through the data yet, but yet we know it's having an impact in credit. And I suspect that's what Jamie Diamond's talking about, that it's we're starting to see issues develop. We're starting to see projects get canceled. So, you know, quick follow up to that, you know, based on some of our prior conversations, you know, you've discussed the late second quarter and into the third quarter you know, as key time periods for, for investors. Can you remind our investors, you know, why you think this is an important time period? And then, you know, what are you watching in markets to determine your next move? Yeah. So again, it gets back to the impact of QT and, and how deep and broad the economic slowdown is going to be globally. As we, the, the second quarter is likely to be the most significant from a rate of change standpoint, decline in earnings growth and economic activity that we have this cycle, or at least we hope that's the case. Um, and th those numbers will become apparent, you know, late in the second quarter as, uh, you know, the, the real-time data is visible. But certainly once we begin to report earnings in July and in the third quarter, and that should start to temper or bring down expectations for earnings growth. We're also going to start to see weakness develop in employment statistics. More importantly, we, you know, when you look at the developed world, Europe, um, and the U.S., large portions of Europe are already entering recessionary conditions. And what I mean by that is growth is so slow, it's easy for any incremental shock to tip those regions into recession. And yet, inflationary pressures are actually accelerating in Europe. So the ECB needs to catch up and, you know, they're going to have to significantly tighten monetary policy. And let's face it, you know, the, the monetary conditions that are needed in, in Germany, Spain, Italy, and Greece are very different, but they're all going to tighten significantly. If our leading indicators for the U.S. do not turn up soon or at least stabilize, it means the U.S. is going to be entering a window of vulnerability for recession, potentially in early in the first half of 2023, if not earlier. All that will start to become clear in this third and in the third quarter of this year. And the market is probably will be sniffing it out. And to the extent it's going to be a relatively minor recession, which would indicate kind of a 20 to 30 percent decline in earnings expectations the bottoming process will begin. And it may last a couple of quarters, but the bottoming process will begin. Um, we're far from an all clear, don't look at the kind of the last, uh, you know, bear market rally we've had on very low volume as any indication that the worst is behind us. And we'll also start to get a sense for, are, are we going to have issues within the credit market? So, you know, my main Concern then from what are we watching is, okay, let's watch this develop, and then are conditions going to deteriorate so significantly that the Fed is going to have to reverse course on QT and actually go back to QE rapidly like they did in 2018? If that's the case, we're going to enter a very unique period because that means the Fed's going to have to monetize deficits 
It means market participants are going to begin to anticipate higher inflationary pressures for a longer period of time. We're going to keep repricing the cost of credit and equity risk premiums. Um, and there's probably another layer of shakeout here to go in a different set of winners and losers. If that's not the case, then, you know, it'll probably be a slow grind and very modest growth. And again, either way, you're probably going to have fairly narrow market conditions as you move through 2023 and beyond. Well, Chris, sounds like we've got plenty to uh, keep our eyes on here in the, in the coming weeks. And a lot of these topics I'm sure we'll be revisiting as we work through the summer. So uh, thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.